Hey, everybody. Carrie here. Welcome to Humane Voices, your favorite podcast uh, celebrating animal protection, we hope. Um, Kitty Block, our CEO, recently posted a, a blog on her regular blog site um, called How to Make Your Summer Animal Friendly. Lots and lots of great suggestions and tips for the summer months. Um, so check it out if you have time at blog.humanesociety.org. And today we're kind of going to bring back a classic episode in the in the sort of similar vein from the archives. On this episode, um, we sort of got into discussion of the easiest ways to sort of help animals in your daily life. You know, a lot, some of us are are lucky enough to sort of have jobs where we get to do this all day, but there are also things that everybody, no matter what your job is, can do to sort of improve the world for animals in small ways. Uh, this is a, this episode for this one is from when my former co-host Austin Vitaliano was still on the show. We miss you, Austin. Shout out to Austin. Um, and on that special note, for the next episode, we will introduce my new co-host on the podcast, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, it's going to be great. And in the meantime, uh, enjoy this episode from the archives, and I hope you all are having a wonderful summer. All right, so let's get right on into it. We put a survey out in All Animals magazine last year, and so many of you had the same question. How can I help animals in my day-to-day life? Uh, So we heard you. So this episode, we're going to go over some of the highlights, some of the easy ways that you or your family can help from home just by taking, you know, small lifestyle changes or even speaking out Two animals. So we're going to talk with Kelly Williams today. Kelly Williams is the editorial manager at the Humane Society of the United States, whose recent all animal article, uh, all animals article called "Change Starts at Home," is the basis for this episode. So Kelly, we are so glad uh, that you can sit down and chat with us. My first question, I guess, is what was the inspiration for the article? Thanks, Austin. Yeah. So like you said, I mean, we get this question all the time in the reader survey, you know, in emails from readers, but in particular, sometimes we hear from readers who have done something really neat from home that we thought would be nice to share. And this was a great opportunity to both say, here's how you can do, you know, really simple changes from home. And here are some examples of people who have done just that. So um, I'll talk about a couple of them, you know, throughout our conversation. Yeah. I think one of the things that I love about this, and you know, this having been working here as long as I have, one of the things I just love is that this is a question we get from readers. Like, you know, they like you guys. I mean, I'm hoping and I'm I'm assuming that there's a there's starting to be an overlap between our podcast listeners and our all animals readers. But it's just it's really delightful for us to know, like, uh, you know, the people at Humane Society spend our days trying to think about, you know, how can we make the world better for animals? And it's so gratifying to get letters from readers who let us know that, you know, you guys have the same focus. It's just awesome. Yeah. And one thing, too, I, you know, when you are an animal advocate or a burgeoning animal advocate, it can seem so overwhelming. Like there's so many problems, so much to tackle. So we really hoped with this article to focus in here are very specific things you can do today, tomorrow. Yeah. I love how you, how it was laid out to, you know, here is, here is a very easy actionable step. And if you want to go a step further, you can take this next step. So I don't want to get too far into it because I'm sure we'll explain it. But the first topic in this article, we talk about our own actual backyard. So what are things that we can do to help animals from our pajamas? (laughs) Yes. I'm glad you started with this one. Uh, I'm so passionate about this one. Working from home, you know, for the past 18 months or whatever it's been, 
I have gotten to know my wild neighbors in my yard so very well. My desk looks out on, you know, my native plant garden and I can see the baby bunnies playing. I can see those squirrels squirreling, all sorts of things. Um, and it's so, it's really so easy to make an inviting environment in your own yard or balcony, whatever you have. Uh, it's as simple as putting water features, whether that's a bird bath, if you have more space, a pond, leaving, you know, dense shrubbery for places to hide, to create shelter, and then planting native plants that will attract, you know, animals that are indigenous to your area. And that's where I've seen just like incredible, just exploding of the insects who show up in my yard. And it's, you know, when you invite insects, you're providing food for baby birds. Bird feeders are great, but mama birds aren't bringing seeds back yeah. to the nest to feed the baby birds. So inviting caterpillars and insects, you're really supporting the whole food chain. And it's, it's really easy to do. Kelly, I'm glad you made that connection. You know, some readers out there might not be super thrilled at the idea of invited, inviting lots and lots of insects into their yard, but it's really good to make the point. There's a food chain in play here. Totally. Yes. And, and chickadees, like I have this example in my head, require, I think it's 9,000 caterpillars to feed their young. So you're not going to have an overwhelming number of insects. They're going to get eaten. So, I mean, sorry, insects. 9,000 caterpillars. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I thought well, the last time I ate a whole pizza myself was bad. That's, <laughs> no. uh, that's incredible. Gluttonous little birds. Yeah. We should probably mention, you know, I, I know Austin said that we could do this in our pajamas, but we should probably stipulate depending, depending on your environment, like do not go out in your boxer shorts necessarily. We don't want you to get arrested. So, you know, appropriately to your environment, you should do these things for wildlife. Indeed. Okay. Glad, when you're glad going to the native plant store, probably put on some clothes. Yes. Yes. Pants are good when you leave the, leave the house. That's Pants always an excellent be. tip. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we're, yeah, we have to reiter reiterate after all these months. Um, no, I, I think that it's really important. I didn't really put two and two together, Kelly, uh, you know, when I first started working at, at the HSUS, how important these ecosystems are that we don't really know about. Like I grew up in a neighborhood of, you know, very manicured lawns mm -hmm. and that's the standard. And yeah. I didn't realize how sterile an ecosystem it is for all the animals around you. So it's yeah. really cool that you point that out. Yeah. And it, like I said, it just, it trickles up. i you know, I'll see foxes, fox kits. It's so neat to see. Um, and I'm slowly replacing my lawn and I can't wait till all the turf grass is gone. <laughs> Love to hear it. Love to hear it. So um, that was kind of, again, the, the very actionable things that we can do um, every day to help the, the backyard area. If we wanted to take it a step further, uh, one of the things in the articles it, it mentioned um, was this wild neighbors pledge. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is something where you might work with your animal control agency or whatever um, similar program you have in your area to have them sign up for this pledge. And they're basically saying they're not going to use cruel, inhumane trapping methods to deal with conflicts with animals. Um, we have agencies across the country that have signed on to it. You know, it's something where you're going to start the conversation is not going to happen overnight, but maybe you're introducing this idea to them and then they can get resources from the HSUS and sign on. And that would make a huge difference. It's just a shift sort of in the dynamic of how they respond to, you know, wildlife pro problems. I'm using quotation marks. Got it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think this is such a this is kind of a priority for us. I mean, and I, I think a lot of people may be may be unaware of this, but some of the, you know, there's a really, really mixed bag in terms of how different companies and different agencies will handle issues with, of wildlife conflict. But one of the things that, you know, that we would really love to see is more is more entities shifting towards non-lethal measures, more entities that are are working towards an approach that that manages, like say you have a family of squirrels living in your attic. There are agencies that will come in and do a really wonderful job by basically prepping prepping that that space so that those squirrels can't get back in but they aren't hurt by being removed they leave on their own and then you are you have a sealed up home so you don't have to have squirrels in the house but the squirrels can go and find another place but there are other places that won't handle that as well and that's one of the things we're really trying to work with a lot of agencies around the country on on doing better on that front yeah another highlight in the article Kelly was talking about trophy hunting so many states, still have wildlife killing contests, um, killing animals for trophy or bragging rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, just cruel. We we know this on, on the show here, but how can we speak out against this as an individual? Because that can seem kind of overwhelming. Where do I start? Yeah, for sure. You know, most of us aren't sitting in our house shooting a giraffe out the window or anything. Like it's, it's not quite as a tangible thing. But this was another instance of, you know, I heard from an HSUS member who did something really neat. He talked to his um, an auction house that he frequented and asked, please stop selling wildlife taxidermy. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know what it's supporting. And they listened. And it's just one of those things where if no one had asked, they would have continued supporting this practice. So that's kind of one tiny thing and speaks to the broader point of like using your voice when you can. Uh, but also one thing that I think can be really helpful and that you can do from home is connect with your state director. Um, HSUS has state directors in almost every state, definitely every region, and they are experts in what's going on in your area. So you can say, hey, I live in um, New Hampshire and I want to know if there's a killing contest in my area and if we're working on it. You can connect with your state director and they can say, yeah, sure, we could use your help on XYZ. And that's a lot of stuff you can do right from your home. Sometimes you're going to be talking to legislators. You could be sending emails. It's, you know, simple, but can have a great impact. And how do I find, how do I get in touch with a state director? Yeah, thank you. Um, if you go onto humanesociety.org slash states, we have a list of every single one and it brings you to a contact form. Um, they all, I believe they all have Facebook pages as well, but I would definitely start on our website and you can connect with them about anything you want that's going on there. Love it. Power of the consumer, power of the constituent. I love yeah. that. Have your voice heard. It's great. A big one is... Um, Farm animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is something you know we don't have a usually a pig or a cow as a companion animal, and so it's it's not easy to visualize and say, hey, these are you know these are animals we need to look out for. But again, the power of the consumer. Back in previous episodes, how grocery stores are shifting with this kind of you know, model. So with totally farm- Austin, I mean, it's yeah. like one of those yeah. things where it's like, you know, like the, the pig and the cow are not animals that we are used to seeing, at least those of us who are not, you know, out, out living on farms, but yeah. it's one of the, it's one of the cases where the choices we make every day can have probably the most impact. Yeah. You said it perfectly, Carrie. I mean, all you have to do, go to your grocery store. I've been vegan for 12 years and the amount of variety now is just incredible. No matter what your tastes are, like no matter what your allergy situation is, you can find something that's probably going to work for you. If you want to try a different type of non-dairy milk 
or a non-dairy yogurt, you know, so many meat analogs, just try them. Um, and a lot of them are coming down in price and are sold, you know, at places like Walmart, which are pretty accessible. Uh, so give it a shot. Don't feel like you have to do it 100% of the time. You know, if we had a thousand people cutting down on their meat products and, and trying alternatives a few times a week, that would be great. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, like you said, power of the consumer for this one is just huge. Absolutely. Just any little steps that you can do, you know, no, no matter what kind of eater you currently are, you know, there are little steps you can make throughout the week, you know, just to opt out of meat or animal products and at one meal and then see, you know, do you want to do it again? I mean, it, it really is just any of these things are helpful in the, when you actually consider in the large scale, it's really incredible um, looking at the consequences for animals of people making just a single meat or, or animal product free choice in a week. Like it, it really adds up to a difference. And then on the, you know, broader scale things you can do too. Um, there's things you can do sort of close to home. Last couple of years ago, I had a, the pleasure of talking to a kindergarten teacher, I want to say in Minnesota, who reached out to her school department and said, hey, could we do Meatless Mondays? And she was able to work with our team at the HSUS to implement that program. And we have amazing resources here. You know, we've done the work to figure out the nutrition requirements for schools, departments. So she was able to use our tools and make that happen. And that's huge. You know, if you're a parent or a kid, maybe you just start the conversation. Maybe it doesn't happen now, but down the road, maybe you've planted that seed. And also, you know, state directors, again, see if there's legislation on, you know, more humane alternatives, cage-free eggs, crate-free meat. What can you do to support it? My cat did just sneeze in the background, so that—that's what's happening. Your cat agrees wholeheartedly <laughs> with that statement. Yeah, I can't tell you the amount of the variety of school lunches when I was a kid was was little to none. I, I don't, I'm sure you can all relate. So it's really, really cool how institutions have started shifting a lot. Uh, yeah. It's really reassuring. Yeah. Speaking of cat sneezing in the background. <laughs> Yes. Um, what about nice what, segue, Austin? Right? <laughs> Trying. Uh, well, hit him up for it. <laughs> COVID, COVID kind of changed the landscape. Carrie and I have been part of episodes where we're like, "What? You know, so many people are creating change for dogs and cats in shelters and everything like that." But what are day to day things that you've seen or you wrote in the article about um, creating a change for companion animals? I mean, some of them are, you know. Messaging we've been saying for years, adopt your next pet. If you can't adopt, go ahead and foster. If you can't foster full time, one thing that I did for a while that I think was really useful, be a backup foster. When the main person is out of town, you take that dog for a weekend. It helps. It gives the dog, you know, another nice environment or cat or, you know, guinea pig, whatever it is. Uh, and you're helping out. You're, you know, supporting that local shelter or rescue it really helps with socialization too. Like I, mm -hmm. I have definitely noticed like, you know, we have one of our two dogs um, barely had any socialization at all when she was, you know, probably the first two years of her life because she was essentially feral. Whereas the, the other little one floof um, who was, you know, a, a, came in through unfortunate circumstances, but but basically spent the first three or four weeks outside of the pet store being babied and honeyed by about 14 different HSUS staffers and now <laughs> loves everyone and is completely confident about people. <laughs> that can make a huge difference. Just getting them exposed to different environments and maybe you find out, oh, this cat works well in a home with other cats and that's great information for a potential adopter to have. So yeah, yeah totally. And for folks that are 
you know, they're, they're well-versed in all of these types of options for adoption or fostering. Um, there was another step forward that you mentioned in the article that mentioned um, ending the sale of puppy mills. Yeah. So we've seen tremendous strides. I want to say it's over, you know, 390 local ordinances that prohibit the sales of like pet store animals in pet stores. They switch typically to more humane models, animals from adoption, uh, from animal shelters or rescues. Uh, And this is another one. Reach out to your state director. Is there something going on in my area? Can I help with it? Or, hey, I would love to start something in my area. I think we could pass an ordinance here. And those just have so much momentum. They build and build and then, you know, statewide bans come in and it just the the snowball effect, I think, really happens. I think that's really true, Kelly. And I, I, you know, another thing that I think is kind of interesting that not everyone may realize, I mean, we have a we have a sort of priority at the organization to try to stop the sale of puppies at pet stores. And the reason we have that, you know, it's it's one of those many, many times where I feel like, you know, if you don't know what the issue is about, you're you're worried that we look like a bunch of scolds because, you know, <laughs> who hates puppies? We actually love puppies, but that's the reason we're trying to convince people not to buy them at pet stores, because most of the puppies coming from pet stores are coming from not great places. You can you can do your do your do your research, but it's pretty non-transparent a lot of the times, and you'll you'll get reassurance. And we've over and over again seen that you know even the pet stores that are saying we get our our animals from wonderful breeders, it's often not the case. Yeah, yeah, that's great context. I f- I can't believe we're we're still talking about <laughs> I was it. Say this too, Austin. That's so I, funny. Yeah. 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 Please carry. On a, it. Yeah. It's like we were tra- we were like our transition here is into animals raised for fur, and I can't believe we're still having this conversation because it is just so depressing to me. I mean, it's like of all the things out there, honestly, it's like I don't get on a soapbox box very often, but the fur thing just uh, it really brings out my person who wants to stand on a scream street corner and scream at people. <laughs> Happily, I think that fewer and fewer people on street corners actually need to be screamed out about this issue. So good. Yes, I think that's true. I think we're seeing huge progress, even in the eight years I've worked at this organization. I mean, it's incredible. Um, And we're seeing that in sales data, too. I mean, the fact that so many, you know, retailers that we've worked with have been turning away from fur and making big announcements that they're not going to sell it anymore. I think it's really I mean, obviously, the first thing you can do as as someone who cares for animals is not buy it because (laughs) not only is it is it gross, but it's, you know, anytime you buy it, you're accidentally supporting that industry. And that's, that's not great, but you know, like you can, Kelly's article like noted that you could go further, which is really, and you know, it's, it's people who have gone further and kind of talked to local retailers about this being not a good product and, and sort of written to legislators. They're the reason, you know, that we are seeing the progress we're seeing that, that I feel like maybe in a year or two years on this podcast, we won't have to talk (laughs) about fur anymore, which would be awesome. (laughs) Right. No, I love I love the fake versus real fur chart as well that you can see. I mean, I don't again, I'm not, you know, going into a ton of these stores and looking for this, but um that that chart is actually very empowering to people that are, you know, still wanting that fake fur f- look. Mm. Um make sure that you're buying <laughs> fake yeah, fur. Right. And one thing to note too is you could use that People think, oh, I'm never going to buy a full fur coat. Like that's 
that's not in my style, but maybe, you know, your boots, your parka, the hood has trim on it. Check that. Um, make sure it really is fake fur that you're buying. And you can also look up retailers who have made the fur free pledge. So then, you know, okay, if I'm supporting them, it's not going to you know be real fur. Um, that's a good place to start too. Right. Exactly. And Carrie, you mentioned, I think, you know, people taking it a step further. This was another thing that kind of inspired this story. We had a reader who was so, to use the same word, inspired um, by a previous All Animals article on the fur trade. She made copies of it and she wrote a handwritten letter to go along with it. And she sent it out to local retailers that still sell fur and said, hey, here's why you should stop. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And it's, again, if you don't ask, you don't, you're not giving anyone the chance to stop. So just, yeah, just totally. ask, just try. In terms of, in terms of kind of checking uh, products and, and, and seeing that stuff, I know that, you know, we had another on the list, it was dogs race, race for meat. Maybe we can come back to that one. A, a real, I think, issue that people still have or questions that people have is the products that they use in everyday life and making sure that those products aren't being tested on animals. And I, I usually get questions like this. How can I, how can I make sure that uh, these products aren't tested on animals or, or how do I change my buying habits to make sure that I'm checking myself here? So you, you pr- provided a lot of good examples in this article. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a big movement in a lot of companies to say specifically, we don't test on animals anymore. Uh, the leaping bunny certification is a great one to look for. Uh, you can you know, usually a product will have that little bunny logo on their uh, packaging, or you can go to that website and kind of look at a list of uh, organizations that don't test. That's a great place to start. Um, And there are so many, you know, cosmetics, personal care products, household products that don't test on animals anymore. And you can feel pretty confident that, you know, you're not supporting that. So that's, that's a good place to start with just straight up making switches in what you purchase. Absolutely. And there's, I mean, you know, like there, there's not an immediately visual transition here from between this and fur, but I always think of these two issues together just because, you know, in the same way that fur just seems to me as such a sort of conspicuous consumer vanity product that is just not necessary and is incredibly cruel. I think a lot of people out there would be kind of grossed out to know that animals are hurt for something like a lipstick. I mean, I I think that, you know, no matter where you stand on sort of um, some, some broader issues, I, I just... I think that that's a tough one to stomach. And it's one of the reasons that we're really, we're working really hard on this particular issue is because it's just not necessary anymore. Yeah. It's one of those ones that's really hard to defend. Yeah. Um, and once you learn about it, you do better and avoid those products. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And again, that site that you had mentioned, you mentioned leapingbunny.org. If you mm. want to look for those uh, types of products and just make sure that what you're using is safe and cruelty-free. So. And in terms of taking that one further, you know, this is another one, I feel like I keep saying this, but your state director could tell you, you know, maybe there's a cosmetic ban in the work in your state. And those statewide bans are so important because they kind of set this momentum going toward a cross your fingers federal ban. Mm. Um, you know, look out, we are constantly on our website and social media. We will tell you when the Humane Cosmetics Act is reintroduced in Congress and when you can support that. And you can reach out to your legislators and say, hey, this is really important to me. I hope you, you know, vote for it or Absolutely. Help propel it along. Kelly, thank you so much. This is, you know, a very helpful episode. We know that the the readers obviously wanted to hear it. So 
Was there anything else that you wanted to mention um, before we wrap up? Um, yes, I've got a cat on my keyboard muting me, but <laughs> I have moved her. Yes. Um, you know, I would say people listening to this podcast, people reading all animals, people who have donated or are members of the HSUS, you know, you do it because you care about animals. And I would hope that few people feel empowered to use their voice elsewhere, mm. talking to friends, your family members, you know, on a neighborhood board when someone is scared that there's a fox out in daylight. You can be empowered to say, well, not all foxes out in daylight are rabid. Right. We Isn't the, that wonderful that you're seeing a fox, you lucky devil? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, take some photos and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so, and even if you don't feel like you're an expert, humanesociety.org, we have tons of information. You can just share a link with someone and they'll get the expert information they need. So I hope people feel empowered to use their voice and be an advocate online and in person. You know, it can really make a huge difference. Kelly, thank you so much again. It was great to chat with you. Great to have you on again for Humane Voices. Kelly Williams, Editorial Manager for the Humane Society of the United States. Um, That's all we have for today to find out more about how you can help animals in your day-to-day life. Like Kelly said, you know where to find us, humanesociety.org for a plethora of information about how to help in your everyday life. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us for 50 episodes and we'll see you for the next 50 episodes of Humane Voices. Humane Voices.